Hi there, welcome back to this week's podcast episode. First, I do just want to say that I am sorry about missing last week's recording and episode. I did post on my main Instagram story a little explanation as to why, but if you don't follow me on Instagram, of course, side note, self-plug, go follow me on Instagram, but um, I honestly just had such a shot week that when it came to finally being able to sit down and record the podcast, it was like two in the morning the night before the episode goes up. I tried, made it maybe like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into the episode, and I had so many moments of dead air time and brain fog, and I was exhausted, and I knew it wouldn't be a good episode. I also just had a really like nonstop week where there were times where I was like, I'm going to record the podcast tonight or tomorrow morning. And then because this is something that takes about two hours and one sitting to complete, well, the recording part and then editing and uploading takes longer, but I like to do it all in one sitting. So ideally it would be three hours of energetic, energetic time. Um, Usually it does come down to like really late in the evenings um, to be able to record just so that I have that moment to do it. But again, if my energy isn't there, the episode's just not going to be the best. So I gave it a shot and realized that it would just be better if I um, went to bed and took the time that I needed and came back to record when I had more energy and more focus and more just ability to be able to provide the quality of an episode that I would like. So that is the long version, sort of, of why there was no episode last week. And I was so optimistic, too. I thought I'd record it on Friday, get it up Saturday instead, but then Friday was just as busy, and it. I realized very quickly it would it wouldn't happen until the next week. So thank you so much for your understanding and hopefully you had a great week off of my podcast or you had some time to be able to catch up on some older episodes, but everyone has been so supportive, so I do really appreciate that. I don't know what was going on last week, just moments of brain fog. I mean, again, if you follow me on Instagram, I literally forgot to put my cup of coffee down underneath my Nespresso machine and poured Nespresso all over my kitchen countertops and that just summarizes kind of how my brain has felt last week. Um, I've got a lot just on my plate at the moment and I think right now is a really busy brand collaboration time too because I'm dealing with, I shouldn't say dealing with, but I'm handling like nine different brand campaigns in June and usually I have like one or two to balance. And so I'm a little bit stressed with getting everything done as well as, you know, getting ready for a lot of the events coming up in June just because it is a busy personal month as well. I've got some birthday plans, um, Taylor Swift's concert, and then just a lot of friends and family like Father's Day and stuff going on with that. And then I'm starting to get stressed because the summer is... I've got a lot of exciting things and trips going on this summer. I've got a trip in July and August and a wedding and stuff like that. And I'm looking forward to it all. But when I think about it from a work perspective, I know I'm going to have to somehow, well, right now I'm behind with work. So I have to somehow catch up and then get ahead 
enough to plan so that I can take those weeks off without falling behind again. Um, so even though some of these plans are two months away, I'm already stressed about making sure my work is done by then. So I would like to hopefully catch up this week. I've got like six videos that need to be edited and uploaded. So that is about how behind I am on content. But um, it kind of is fitting for this week's episode because I thought it would be um, fun to kind of deep dive into like the secrets, I guess. Not secrets, but like the secret of getting brand deals as a social media creator. I love listening to other content creators talk about how to successfully work with brands or how to reach out to brands, how to score those brand deals because I always feel like I learned something new and it's helpful to gain that perspective. And there are a few things that I've picked up on that have made a difference in how I approach brand deals or secure them. And so whether you are a fellow content creator or someone that you would like to pursue this down the road and you're just gaining little tidbits of knowledge or if you're simply curious, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Even if I wasn't a social media like content creator, I feel like I would still really find this intriguing because it is such a it's still like such a novelty of a job and thing to do where you might not even know some of this stuff. And I know I'm no expert either. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of other creators that would have awesome, wonderful tips to provide. However, um, I have been on social media working with brands for about eight years now. So I have picked up on a lot of knowledge um, just throughout those last eight years through trial and error experience about how to work with brands or advocate for yourself and seek out sponsorships and all of that. There's a lot of like do's and don'ts and things that um, perhaps like a creator may not understand from a company's perspective, but then also vice versa, what like a more corporate company um, employee might not understand about the creative side. Um, Because it really is like two different worlds, corporate and creative. It's cool when they can combine and work hand in hand, but sometimes I do feel like there's a language barrier or just like a barrier in understanding like what would do well um, when you go from like a marketing world to social media. But yeah, there's a lot I can talk about in deep dive. However, as you know, I like to start every single podcast episode out with a weekly recap and I've got uh, two weeks of weekly recap updates. Luckily though, there really wasn't that much going on besides like the reasons why I was so stressed. So when I'm looking at my little bullet note list of things that I wanted to mention that I may have done these last two weeks, um, it really just boils down to work. I had a a ton of filming um, and I'm not complaining, but that just soaks up like a lot of your time days. Um, I guess I'll let you in on a little... Actually, is this a secret? I feel like I keep thinking it's a secret, but I might have already shared this on other platforms as well. I'm not so sure. Um, I am in the middle of redoing my bedroom right now. I want to do kind of just like a, a master bedroom makeover video in honor of my birthday because my birthday's actually in a couple of days. Um, and I kind of want to do this like birthday bedroom makeover gift to myself, 
kind of like a nod to my 25th birthday bedroom makeover video that is my most viewed video on YouTube um kind of like a little a little nod at that as I turn 28 this year and just would like to elevate my bedroom at home so I am in the middle of that makeover and my room upstairs is a hot mess I'm not doing it within 48 hours like I did in my apartment because I just know how impossible that would be but I'm doing everything by myself <clears throat> by myself this year or this time last time I had my dad and brother help me with some of the bigger stuff that required more hands like curtains and ladder bookshelves and things up high that you know it's just nice to have somebody there supporting holding the other side of the curtain rod and whatever but I'm just doing it on my own and hoping for the best so I, I don't want to rush it because I don't want to make a mistake or, you know, drill an anchor into the wall slightly off center and then not be able to fix it because there's a hole in the wall. So um, I'm taking my time, but also trying to get that done because, like I said, my birthday is coming up and I want to get that makeover up as soon as I can. But that soaked up like most of the first week was just working on the makeover. Um, but I do spend most of my weekends with my partner, Ashton, and right now i feel like minnesota is just in full art fair art festival season there are so many art festivals going on almost every single weekend at different locations like we went to the one in northeast um there were actually actually like two recently up there and then the um edina art fair was two weekends ago, last weekend. It was, I, I haven't had a chance to tell the podcast yet. So within the last two weeks and we went to that, which was so fun. It was on probably like the hottest day of the week, if not month so far that day. It was super hot and humid. So it was kind of disgusting out, but honestly, I'd much rather be hot and sweaty than freezing. So I didn't mind it too much. They had like the air misters coming out of different businesses and like food trucks too so you could walk through um hoses of water sorry i said air earlier i meant like a water hose like a mist so i was walking through mist like all the time we had some um uh snow cones i forgot the word for a second uh yeah we got some snow cones and ice cream and looked at some art ashton bought a cool art piece of the Minneapolis skyline and it's cool because at this point I feel like whenever Ashton and I go to these art festivals we start to recognize the booths of certain artists that we had purchased something at at like a different festival that they were at so like we saw this one leather making tent that Ashton bought something out of we saw um a lot of bigger art pieces that we recognized from other um so we went to that. They also have the Stone Arch Bridge Art Festival coming up. And then there's the Uptown Art Festival, the Centennial Lakes Art Festival. Um, yeah, I feel like there's more. So there's a lot, but we like to go to those. It's always a fun time. There's food trucks, beer, art, live music, classic summer activity. Um and then what else have I been doing? Oh, okay. So like I mentioned, I'm going to the Taylor Swift concert that is coming up in less than two weeks. My outfit for it arrived yesterday and it fits so perfectly. I'm really excited. It's nothing crazy. I know some people go all out with their eras tour outfit and I wanted something cute, but comfortable and breezy because it will be hot most likely. Um, 
but I didn't want to spend too much money on something that I would never wear again and you know so I got this cute little um like lavender floral little summer dress for lavender haze but also it kind of reminds me of debut Taylor so it's got a little bit of just like a little country dress but I'm really excited dress fits perfectly I'm excited to show you on Instagram um, or you'll see it on Instagram in a few weeks but my friend and I to prep for the concert we had a Taylor Swift friendship um, bracelet making night the other night um, so we, we just played Taylor Swift to get some good song inspo and she actually bought this huge kit on Amazon that just came with everything you would need for friendship making bracelets. And we made as many as we could. I think I made like 15 or 20 bracelets, but we want to make a couple more just because she still has so much supplies left over. And um, the more that we were listening to songs as the night went on, the more lyrics that we thought of or different phrases. I feel like most people that are listening will know what I'm talking about, but if you're not in the the Taylor Swift lore of the Eras tour, um, it's really popular if you go to the concert to make friendship bracelets with um, different like song lyrics on them or um, abbreviations, acronyms, um, little like inside jokes or memes or quotes that Taylor has said or album covers, different bracelets. You go in and then you trade them with other people at the show. So you leave with like a whole new arm of bracelets. And then if you're lucky enough to cross paths with the queen herself, if you're, you know, chosen for the song 22, where you go and you sit up there close to the stage, there's a moment where Taylor will give you the hat she's wearing and then um, if you're prepared and have one you would give her a friendship bracelet or if you pass someone in the celebrity tent or mama swift or anybody of anything i guess it's just really common to trade friendship bracelets or just gift them um, people have been gifting them to security guards so it's just something that has kind of become this like unspoken gesture at a Taylor Swift show to arrive with friendship bracelets and trade them. It's based off of the song You're on Your Own Kid when she goes make the friendship bracelets, um, take this moment and taste it, all that. So um, yeah, Chelsea and I spent the night making friendship bracelets. It was such a, a like full circle moment too because um, she just had a baby. So we had her baby like near us while we were making bracelets and I kept thinking of the Taylor Swift lyrics from Long Live, you know, if you have children someday, like, please point, and they point to the pictures, please tell them my name. So it's like so surreal to think how like her child was there while we were making Taylor Swift. I don't know. It was just in the moment I was like, wow, this feels so crazy to like have a baby here and to be doing this and going. But it was a really fun night. I think we're going to meet again before the show, maybe like next week and just make a ton more bracelets. I had such a hard time thinking of things to say in the beginning. I did like fearless and, you know, A-T-W-T-M-V-F-T-V-T-V. Was that right? All too well, 10 minute version from the Vault Taylor's version. Yeah, so we did that. Um, I did Lavender Haze, 
one that just said Betty. I did one that said Folk Whore, which I saw on Twitter and thought was really funny, so I wanted to make my own. Um, I did Y-O-Y-K, you're on your own, kid? Um, I am spacing on how I made so many and can only remember like four or five, but I have a list on my notes app of like more as they come to me to make, so should be pretty fun. Um, but speaking of baby, we also went to Chelsea's baby shower sip and see the other Sunday, last Sunday, a couple days ago. Um, I feel like it's a mix of like baby season, wedding season, and concert season right now because like I said, we had the baby sip and see, which is kind of just like a post-birth baby shower where you come and like meet the baby and, you know, sip on some good drinks. It was really chill. I had an awesome time. Um, And yeah, I feel like it's a mix of just everybody having babies. And then I literally have like three weddings sort of coming up, like within the, the span of the next year. The closest one would be, well, there's sort of two in August and then one next summer, but a lot of events and um, things for those weddings are coming up. And then summer is just concert season. Like I went to two shows within the last two weeks and I feel like every single weekend there's always a show going on. I feel like I've talked about it before, but probably not in specific. Um, Ashton's friends are in a couple of bands in the Minneapolis area um, and Ashton went to school for like sound engineering. So I feel like he just knows a lot of people in the music industry through that. Oh, he also had a career of DJing back in the day before tattooing, like literally at festivals. I had someone on Instagram DM me once being like, uh, no way, but I think I like went to your boyfriend's. I don't know what you'd call it because I'm not in like the rave, whatever. But it, she said she like saw him DJing at a music festival like years ago before COVID. But yeah, so he knows a lot of people kind of through that. And his friends, I feel like, especially in summer, always have a concert each weekend at different like venues or breweries or First Ave or whatever. So we went to one last Sunday, the Sunday before, and I'm sure coming up there will be plenty of more. Um, but besides those types of concerts, I also have like two bigger concerts of like artists that I'm fans for at like huge venues that I'm excited to see. And that's not including Taylor Swift. So I guess technically three. Um, but honestly, I'm not sure what else has been going on this week besides working. And I went to the pool once with my friend Anne and that was really nice. It was probably the most perfect day to go. But beyond that, I'm just working and spending Ashton's days off with him. We got our nails done from his aunt on Monday, which was really nice. She works at a salon and she gave us manis and petties and it was such a fun little mani-pedi date. I don't think I've ever been on a a mani-pedi date with a partner before now that I think of it. And it was so cool too because his aunt was the only one working. So we had like the back, like the whole salon space just to ourselves. Um... And it was really chill. And then his cousin came in and it was fun. So I got my nails done for my birthday and I was feeling really crazy. Um, If you know, I only get my nails done white. I am a strict white polish girl and I've just been that way for years. I feel like it just matches everything. It looks really clean and it fits well for filming. So um, I was going 
to just do white nails, but like get them done nicely with like gel or whatever from her. But my birthday is on Saturday and I'm wearing this cute little like baby doll mini pink dress. So when I was looking at the acrylic or gel like um, examples on those rings, I saw this really pretty pink sparkly one. And I went a little crazy, y'all, and my ring finger has the glitter, and then the rest of my fingers have white. So I felt I felt super daring. But we got those done, and this was, okay, it's also probably embarrassing for me to admit this, but I've only ever gotten a pedicure once, and I was like 16. So this was my second pedicure, and I mean, I have no reason not to. I really enjoyed it. It was such a pampered treat. But I feel like I just have a really hard time justifying those types of purchases for myself um, in terms of like self-care. That's why I've never gotten like a massage or pay for pedicures because I have a hard time justifying the money where I know I can just paint my toes at home and whatnot. But it was such a treat, super fun. And I think we're going to go back before Ashton's sister's wedding that I've mentioned as well, just to get our nails and toes looking all pretty for that. Um, other than that, Ashton and I didn't really do anything this weekend. We grilled, which was fun. I've wanted to do that at his, at his apartment since pretty much he moved in because he has so many grill spaces outside and I just want to like use the amenities and that's just such a pivotal summer thing and memory and scent like it as soon as we turned on the grill too I was like this smells like summer so we grilled some corn on the cob he grilled salmon for himself we had veggie kebabs we got those ghost pepper chips from Trader Joe's that are amazing we had some wine beer it was so nice Caesar salad and the whole like grill space to ourselves so that was fun. It was nice. It was so chill, like the most simple thing, but it was a really good memory. Um, but that's my weekly recap for kind of what's been going on. I think my recap is going to be super exciting within the next couple of weeks because um, I promise I'll stop saying it after I mention it right now, but because my birthday is coming up and I've got some big fun plans for that that I'll tell you afterwards just to see, you know, what ends up happening. And then as soon as that's over, it's Taylor Swift weekend and then after that, I think I had this event downtown, but it actually got canceled and I'll talk more about that later. Um, and then it's July and I've got a quick little trip and who knows what July will bring. So yeah, a lot of fun stuff coming up, but I also made a note because thinking about last week's episode, I realized when talking about celebrities that I've met or encountered and stories like that, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, it's all about celebrities that I have met and all of that. Like, it's really fun. Highly recommend. Anyway, I realized I forgot to include a story. It feels not that big by itself now that I'm bringing it up. However, I forgot that when I was in 11th grade, I met um, kind of like the... It was probably the first time I met a YouTuber that I watched, I believe, because that was back when it was still like... 2012, 2013, YouTube looked really different. I wasn't on there as a creator yet myself. I was like a young viewer. I was like, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. Um, and my friend at the time and I went to Mall of America and we met Juicy Star 07 and her sister during their book 
signing a meet and greet, which there's just so much to unpack with that. Um, if you remember, OG beauty guru, she pretty much paved the way in my mind, Juicy Star 07, L Fowl, no, Blair Fowler, and then her older sister, which I think it was something like Glitters, Bay of Glitters, Sparkling Glitter, that was her handle. Anyway, L Fowler, which, I mean, side note, those aren't even their real names because they used fake names as kids online. Um, but I'm not going to dox them. I just remember finding like a deep dive of their real life versus like their YouTube as a teenager and being so shocked by it. But um, another side note about their book tour that they went on, they didn't even write the book, which is super common, but I didn't know that at the time because I was so young. They had like obviously a ghostwriter um, and it was this like teen fictional book Probably one of the first YouTubers to, like, get a book deal. This was before, like, a lot of the YouTubers had book deals. Um, I was very unfamiliar with it. Or at least the YouTubers that I watched. Like, this felt like one of the earlier, the early ones. And they were. But we waited in line for a while. We met them. I don't even remember if we got pictures. I genuinely think we just had books. And then we would, they would sign it and then walk off but I was pretty starstruck because it was so bizarre to see them out of a screen um yeah and then after the book signing was over they went into Nickelodeon universe and went on a few rides and at that point my friend and I were like okay we have got to stop watching them they're not that famous for us to be doing this and we went shopping but I forgot about that story until after I recorded the episode and I just thought it was kind of funny and wanted to include it but with all that being said, and speaking of YouTubers, why don't we get right on into the the main point of this episode, which is talking about how to get brand deals as a social media content creator. This episode is brought to you by Banish Skincare. I've been using Banish products for almost two years now, and my skin is forever changed. Banish uses natural, clean, and fresh ingredients that make your skin glow, clears up blemishes, reduces redness and aging, and not only that, but Banish has an at-home micro-needling treatment that has truly changed my skin and has brightened my face, reduced acne scars, and helped reduce acne in general. This is not just an ad to me, but I recommend Banish to everyone. It's the only skincare company that I will use and have used for years. They have this awesome vitamin C moisturizer that I put on every night and every morning, an oil serum to use after microneedling that helps moisturize the face, and reduce redness. There's a mint cleanser that feels so good on your pores, a fresh pumpkin enzyme mask, and most recently released an awesome sunscreen moisturizer with 30 SPF and an anti-aging retinol serum as well that I really love to use before bed. What's awesome is you can get a lot of these products in a bundle that allows you to save money or you can purchase them individually, but regardless, try out Banish today. I have an affiliate link in the description of this episode, as well as a discount code for you. Be sure to use code Michaela10 at checkout. That's Michaela10 in all caps for 10% off. I promise you, you won't regret it. If you got it, monetize it has been my mantra since 2020 and I firmly stand by it. If you have a talent, skill, or something that you are good at, monetize it. I firmly believe that there is a way to make money doing what you love, whether 
that is crafts or dance, public speaking, even something like yoga, there is a way to monetize it. So check out my new merch on my spring shop linked below to wrap your passion today in a stylish and cozy hoodie with the motivating reminder of if you got it, monetize it. This is a really minimal collection. So if you like very basic minimal clothing with small text, simple um, colors, highly recommend checking it out. I also have an older collection that is more pastel and fun and funky if you like that as well, but they're both on my spring shop. And to say thank you to my listeners, use code PODCAST in all caps for 10% off. That is PODCAST at checkout linked below. All right, so obviously in terms of brand deals, I'm not over here like dumping out brand deals left and right with every upload and post, but I have been in the game long enough to have learned a lot through trial and error and experience about how to work with brands and advocate for yourself and to seek out sponsorships. There are a lot of do's and don'ts and things that a creator may not understand from a company's perspective and vice versa, and there are a lot of things that I have just learned and picked up along the way that I would love to share with you um, today. So I've made kind of like some little notes on my notes app, just feels kind of random, so I'll try to make it as organized as I can, um, kind of going through some of my tips for getting brand deals, especially as a newer creator because things have changed so much. But bo- going back to what I was saying about how I'm not out here like posting brand deals all the time, that can also be tactic too because surprising, well maybe not surprisingly, but A lot of creators are pretty picky with the brands that they choose to work with, which is great. And I would be more concerned by a creator who was posting brand deals every single week or upload because not every single company will align with the creator, but also with other companies. So if you see somebody working with like one company, but then um, a few videos later, they're working with like one of their competitors or a company that contradicts a belief or item that they were just promoting, it's so inauthentic and it just kind of shows you, you know, that what the br- the brand deal ultimately means to that creator, which is a payment. And yes, at the end of the day, I think we're all doing brand deals because of course it is um, a way to pay our bills, it's payment. And like, honestly, you would do it too for a check. <laughs> but that being said, I am super, super cautious about the brands that I work with, and there are a lot of things I think about before working with a brand in terms of if my own lifestyle and beliefs align with the brand, if I, you know, think the brand is, you know, like respectful in terms of, um, I don't want to work with fast fashion. I know I have done deals in the past years ago with like Zoffel and whatnot, but it's not something I'm seeking out. I don't want to work with skincare that isn't vegan. I don't want to work with, um, like, I'm trying to think. There was a couple of, like, like um, a bone broth powder company where it's like, that wouldn't be a good fit for me because I'm, I don't eat meat and bone broth has animal in it. So... Or even if, like, the deliverables aren't something that you think is a good fit for you, um, it's okay just to turn it down and say that how in, like, a nice way of saying how you just don't think we'd be a good fit for this collaboration. Um, But, yeah, there's a lot of reasons why. um, 
and why I might not be doing brand deals all the time. But like I did say recently, like I feel like June is pretty busy um, in terms of campaigns. I just have a lot of different ones coming up. So I notice the peaks definitely in summer as well as the holiday season. There's a really big peak of brands wanting to collaborate and do brand deals. But I think one of the most common questions in terms of brand deals is how to get them. But even deeper than that, like, do you reach out to brands? Do brands brands reach out to you? Um, it's definitely a mix of both. I'd say that 90% of my brand deals come from the brands reaching out to me. However, if you feel like you're just not receiving a lot, make sure your email is obviously where it's supposed to be um, attached to Instagram or YouTube or TikTok. However, however, your audience is growing, make sure that it is accessible for brands to contact you. But if you feel like you're just not receiving a lot of opportunities, it is totally okay to reach out to brands. There are ways to do this where it is professional and not seen as um, like a red flag. Um, I would honestly DM brands. Don't ask right off the bat, like, hey, sponsor me. Haha. Like, can we like collab? I would just say like, a little introduction about yourself and what type of content you post. It doesn't even have to be that long or deep. It can be as simple as like, hey, my name is Michaela. I'm a huge fan of your company. I was just curious if you have a email that I can have my team reach out to. Um, that would be awesome because a lot of the times whoever is running the Instagram account of a company probably isn't the person that can approve a campaign collaboration or gift with you. Um, Sometimes it is, depending on how big or small the company is, but most of the time it is like the brand having to email different people or contact and then get back to you. So regardless, I feel like it's easiest for them to respond with an email so that you're able to actively reach out. And I always say my team because even if you are just starting out and don't have one, it just sounds more professional and you will get more respect that way. Um, a lot of brands don't really, I wouldn't say they don't like it, but it's just seen as not as professional if the talent is reaching out themselves because there are managers and, you know, people that speak on behalf of their clients. So my team is just a really great way of working around that. And then you'll get, I'd say like 99% of the time, just simply asking for an email, you get a response more than if you're asking for a collaboration. And then once you have the email, you can email them with whatever it is that you are inquiring about or seeing if you guys would be a good fit. Um, I feel like I do have a copied kind of like outline in my notes app somewhere of like how to email brands because I've done it here and there before when I'm looking for more collaborations. My gosh, my notes app though is like chaotic. So I don't even know if I'm going to be able to find this. Is it under this one? Oh yeah. Okay. So you can say like, it can, it depends really too if you're, what you're looking for. Sometimes I'm honestly just looking for a gift exchange if I you know, would rather just, because here's the thing too, building relationships with brands is probably more important in my mind 
than securing that bag and getting a brand deal out of them because if they can trust you as a creator and they like their experience working with you, they will come back and you can um, secure more than one brand deal or even like a year-long contract with them, which is what I've done before in the past with companies. And that's going to go so much further than you reaching out, asking for a collaboration and giving them your rates and hoping that it sounds good. If you just want to start by saying like how you would be open to a few different things, that's totally fine. Um, but as long as you kind of say an introduction about you know, like your name and maybe reaching out to see if you'd be open in a collaboration of some sort. Talk about how much you love the brand and how you've like been using or wearing or buying it for years. You're such a fan. Um, I obviously mention like when I reach out to brands that are more vegan or organic or whatever, I kind of bring that up about how that's important to me um, and how I would love to like collaborate sometime or help promote or whatever like you can send over a media kit I highly recommend making one you can look up media kit layouts on google make it as simple as you want but as long as it has your stats social media some rates engagement rate compensation rate all of that um, you can shoot them a message via email that way um, but like I said about how sometimes when companies do get influencers that reach out directly, it's like not as, it's not seen as professional as like if a manager was. Okay, this next tip, like going off of that, I got this from Alicia Marie and Taylor King when they were talking about this on their podcast. Um, and I will admit I've done it in the past and it has made a really big difference. But uh, if you can, obviously like get a manager that'd be like the first thing somebody else to advocate and email brands for you but again that might not be what you're looking for and it could be as simple as a friend or someone that you know um someone that you know has really good professional email time management writing skills someone that can advocate for you well um however there are some especially if you work in social media or do content creation a lot of us are better at working alone or prefer it that way or might be a little bit like not controlling but prefer to do everything themselves because you kind of have this mindset of like, well, I know exactly how I want it done so like I need to do it. Um, it can be hard to trust someone and like go in knowing that you can't do everything like that but um, what was I getting at? Um, oh, yeah. So if you don't really want somebody else emailing brands for you, I and this is like, I don't know. I mean, I heard it and kind of thought like, OK, that makes sense. Um, you can be your own manager, meaning you can make up a name and just be like, hey, my name is so and so and I represent my client. We would love to work with you. Let me send over her rates here's what we're open to, like, would love to chat more about the details of this campaign, what are the deliver, whatever it is, like, thank you, and then have the name and have this, you know, kind of, like, third person advocate for you. I swear, this worked so well, it was almost embarrassing, um, like, how, like, sad that is, but 
yeah, I have my own manager who I created and he's awesome. He's gotten me so many more brand deals this year. Oh, that's the other thing too. And this part is really shitty to admit, but again, Alicia Marie and Taylor both said this. It kind of sucks, but male managers sometimes still get more respect than female managers or emails and they can somehow secure higher brand deals. And, you know, if you can't beat it, might as well play into it because, I mean, like, it is still freaking sexist and it sucks. But I do have a male manager and it, I don't know. I mean, I just figured I know that it's like with books, authors. This is so sexist and it's so effed up that male authors are more likely to get published in the literary world than females, which is why in his throughout history, it was so common for females to... um just use their initials. Even J.K. Rowling, if you notice that, um, names that you can't tell if they're male or female in writing somehow sell better. Not all the time, and I don't think this is up to date with 2023, but just in the history of literature, I know it was... And, like, if you think back way, way, way early, too, women couldn't even publish or, like, be able to do that on their own unless they had a male pseudonym name to publish under. So... When you look at, there's so, once you start to really think about it, there are a lot of female authors that kind of do what J.K. Rowling did and have initials or like, I'm now, of course, I'm blanking and can't think of any. Um, Let me Google some real quick because this I always found fascinating when I first learned about it in school. Female authors under male names. Alice Marion Norton went by Andre Norton. Um, the Bronte sisters even went under male names. Mary Ann Evans slash George Eliot. Yep. Joanne Rowling, J.K. Rowling. I guess J.K. Rowling also went by Robert Galbraith. Um, I feel like there's some more com like modern ones as well. Louisa May Alcott, I remember that one because I saw the movie Little Women. Um, oh, the Bronte sisters went by the Bell Brothers. Wow. Yeah. So even though this was back in history, I still unfortunately feel like it is common and it sucks. But if I can find a way to kind of work around the system or make it benefit me. Um, I do have a male manager and he's awesome because it's me and he's able to get me some great campaigns and brand deals. And honestly, like I feel more confident when I write as him sometimes than me because it can be hard to uh, um, differentiate the talent versus the manager. And when you're doing it all on your own, again, sometimes the brand will try to take advantage of you. It sucks to say, but a lot of brands will do this and they'll lowball you or just not like give you an offer that you know you deserve. So I feel like you're more respected when you have a manager. Again, it sucks and not every single brand is like this, but you know, I've come, come to find that here and there it does happen. But like I was mentioning too, like corporate versus creative worlds can be so different at times. And I know it can be really frustrating when a brand doesn't really understand the creative freedom that a commercial needs. Like when they want you to just do a dedicated video of reviewing the product with the product 
in the title and thumbnail, I'm like, okay, this is going to be like a product review, but that's not my channel. And the video won't do well sometimes if like the product review, it's it's all that there is. Like who's going to click on that? Um, so it's really nice when some companies are like, we don't care, like do whatever you want. Um, we trust you as long as you have it in like featured for two to three minutes, like we're good. Um, or in, like anywhere in between that as well. But um, I know it can feel frustrating when that's not translated. Um, and it's hard to kind of explain that when they have such specific um, content requirements for a deal. Um, but again, it just makes you appreciate like the flexibility that nicer brands have when they do get it and understand because here's the thing like the brands that understand that like trust you as the creator because you are you're like you're the creator this is your content you know what does best so you do you and they'll do whatever it is that they do in the corporate world because I have no idea but um I thought it would also be kind of fun to talk about like my first brand deal versus like my biggest brand deal and all of that so my first brand deal was back in 2016. Um, it was for an app of some sort and it was $150, I believe, for the video. That was my flat rate that they offered me. And then $50 additional for every like 10 referrals made or something like that. Um, I ended up cashing out at $200 for this brand deal. And back in 2016, with a very small channel, I had under 10K for sure because I hit 10K in 2017 or 2018. So it was a really big deal. And honestly, like that's a pretty good amount for a small channel and for a first brand deal. So I'm really glad that they didn't take advantage of me because even today, like I'll get emails from brands that are like, okay, the best we can offer you is $30. And I'm like, no way. Like at that point, I don't even reply to the email because that with my like engagement rates and following numbers, that is insane. You are literally providing a commercial like advertisement for them. So the brands that give you $30 or say 50 or even 100, depending on your audience size, they know how much money they're saving if they can find a creator that doesn't know their worth and will accept a low rate because if they were to do a traditional commercial those cost thousands five six figures sometimes to create so to take the influencer route they're saving money but some of them are sneakier than others and will try to really 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 lowball you and then they'll throw you some like crazy requirement too like okay at least 10 minutes of footage make sure you have close-ups put it in the title use hashtags and like won't even pay you for that, which is insane. So um, yeah, it was a really good first brand deal. And I would just remember being so excited about that um, because at that point it was like a dream to do YouTube full time. And that first campaign really did make it feel possible. So that was so cool. Um, that was my first brand deal. My biggest brand deal um, just to kind of like give you some comparison here. And again, I don't mean to say this to brag or anything. It's just like, I think from an educational standpoint, it'll be nice to have some perspective and see kind of what you could aim for. And honestly, like perhaps I could even aim higher, but I just felt comfortable like, accepting this 
rate when I got it offered. And that was $1,000 plus for a video. I think there was like a little bit of affiliate bonus in there, but um, yeah. And I think right now that's kind of like my going average rate, depending on the details. Um, and that was for a website, gosh, I want to say like two years ago, maybe for a brand deal that I did. Um, but yeah, I kind of like try to pinpoint it. The other big question too is like, how much should I charge? There are calculators online that will help you kind of give you an idea as to how much you can charge where you plug in like your following amount or your engagement and it'll show you kind of typical rates that are going for people with an account with a similar following. Um, my rule of thumb as I had kind of gotten larger on YouTube is when I hit 10,000 followers, like 100 felt average. When I hit 50,500, 100,000 followers, then like $1,000 was a good average. Again, it does depend on the company and their um, budget for different campaigns. It depends on like, do they want a 30-second segment? Do they want two to three minutes? Do they want 10 minutes? Um, are they supplying you with like a $600 product or is it free? So some of those will like factor, but I'd say that was kind of like a big rule of thumb. And then with Instagram, it varies so much, um, especially on if they want like an in-feed post, if they want a story slide, if they want a reel. But kind of what I would suggest is for like stories, couple hundred dollars per, well, it depends on your following. I guess if you are like smaller, $50 per story slide with a two to three story slide average would be good. Um, 200 if you're larger. I don't know. That one does vary and I don't think I'm comfortable giving out exactly how much I charge now, but stories are always a little bit cheaper than reels and then in-feed posts are my highest rate because, you know, feed, can't delete them. They're there. And now with TikTok, I've talked about my TikTok brand deals in a video before and I think on a podcast episode as well. But that's my newest platform that I'm able to kind of have brand deals on or have gotten the opportunities in the past. So I'm a lot more open when it comes to rates because I'm, I feel like I'm still understanding the platform and getting to know it, like what I can charge. But the first couple of brand deals on TikTok were $500 for like three videos, which feels pretty, pretty solid. So I'd recommend something around the same rate as that. Oh, speaking of like other platforms, I recently got an op offer for a Twitter one, too, where if I just tweeted something, they gave me 50 bucks, which I don't know how I feel about. Like, that seems kind of like, I guess that's what an ad is. Um, but I got that through, like, one of those websites like Aspire, Up Upfluence. There are a lot of, like, sites where you can go as, like, a company to kind of see, like, creators that would fit what you're looking to advertise. So I think a lot of them kind of stem from those sites. But in terms of like talking to brands, I'd say my number one thing to remember is to be kind and to be prompt because there are real people on the other side of the screen with emails and it can be hard sometimes to even register that because some of them don't have a picture 
as like a profile on the email and when you see a brand like I don't know I feel like it's just hard to remember that but definitely be prompt because these campaigns fill quickly these campaigns run quickly sometimes I mean one of my brand deals was like in a matter of three days from like start to finish so if you keep putting off replying until later you are missing out on opportunities you're showing the brand that you know you're not the easiest to get a hold of that you're not very quick and efficient or prompt but if you are prompt and easy to talk to kind understanding they will have a great experience out of working with you as much as you did and again that builds brand relationship which like i said i think is so much more important than the brand deal itself because um you know you just never know like someone that's working at this one small startup company could someday be working at your dream brand to collaborate with and if they remember you and enjoyed working with you you will be someone that they suggest for another campaign that they see fit so um yeah definitely working on building relationships rather than trying to just get a paycheck is a really big tip of mine follow up and follow through sometimes it's so easy for emails to get buried in inboxes or just get left behind so following up with a brand that may not have gotten back to you or said they would and it's just like a lot of times emails just like fizzle out So just sending a quick kind like, hey, just checking in, just following up with our last like email, like does this still sound good to you, whatever it is, follow up, follow through after a campaign has ended. I always say thank you. Like I had such a great time like or experience collaborating with you. Please let me know if any future campaigns come up in the future. That's always awesome to send at the end. Kind of just like When you host a party and you say thank you for coming or you send out thank you cards, I grew up with a mom that made me sit down the day after Christmas, the day after my birthday, the day after whatever, and write out thank you cards to send. And I feel like I'm so grateful for her for doing that because I still do that in so many aspects of my life, except now it's work emails or it's a quick text to my boyfriend saying thank you for spending this weekend with me or for doing whatever, you know? So that can go a long way as well. Um, And then also sometimes like gifting deals. So when they just send you a free product without payment in exchange for a shout out, those sometimes can turn into brand deals if they're happy with your promotion. Some companies will try to like get you though and be sneaky and be all like, well, since it's our first campaign, there's no payment this time. But if the results are good, we'll pay you next time. I don't like that. But if they're like, I don't know like if you can just tell it's a good brand and they're like well this one is just a gift campaign or exchange um and you uh, really want the brand or like the company I, I don't know i'm trying to think of an example like gt energy foods i love their kombucha i love their mushroom elixirs and so it was a dream when i was able to collaborate with them it wasn't a paid comp collaboration But I was so grateful that they were willing to send me PR gifts. Um, And then a lot of times when that happens and they see how genuinely excited you are, they'll ask, okay, so like what are your rates for, curious what your rates are for a brand deal? Or they'll be like, hey, hope you're doing well and reach out later and, you know, offer you an actual paid brand deal. That's happened before with like certain PR gifts that I've gotten in the mail, um, So, yeah, even if you only get a gift 
collaboration, still be really thankful for it. Um, Because it is kind of all like the energy that you put out there is returned to you. So if you are ungrateful for it, there is no way that that's going to turn into a paid brand deal down the road. I think that from like karma, a perspective of karma, the universe, as well as the brand themselves, if they kind of see the work or the result of you unboxing or opening it, like, yeah. Um, Going off of that, it's totally okay to check in with old brands that you've worked with in the past or old brands that have gifted you things and see if they have any upcoming campaigns that you might be a great fit for. Again, kind of like during those slower months, I totally do this with other brands that I've worked with in the past that I have enjoyed working with. Just checking in, saying thank you, or like saying how much you still love their product or whatever, and then, you know, hope you're doing well. Um, I'm just, And then, you know, saying how you were just curious if they had any upcoming campaigns that might be a good fit. Like, please let me know. I'd love to work together again, something like that. Um, I also make a list on my notes app of like random brands that I think of that I want to reach out to. If I'm just scrolling through Instagram or I see somebody else working with them, I'm like, oh, that would be a good brand to like DM. So I've got a little list going on and whenever I feel like I need to advocate for myself or reach out, I'll just shoot an email or DM on Instagram and see if anything comes out of that. Um, but advocating for yourself, highly, highly recommend, like this is so important as a creator, as somebody that's working mostly alone or like by themselves, crucial to advocate for yourself. But again, always just be business professional in emails. When it comes to this, you're going to get a lot further in these campaigns than if you send over an email that looks like you're sending a text to your bestie. No emojis, no smiley faces. Um, depending on the brand, I mean, like keep explanation marks to a minimal and just show them that you can be professional because it's such a stigma against influencers at times that we aren't professional or that we just don't know how to be like business professional. So yeah, I think that's also why managers are sometimes more respected from a corporate side, but it's totally okay to advocate for yourself and send over a media kit with your engagement stats and all of that. And I mean, hey, you never know what could happen. And the worst that could happen is that you just don't hear back from them. So you have nothing to lose, really. Um, and like statistic wise, if you send out 50 emails to 50 different brands, odds are like at least one or two of them will offer you something. So just continuing to advocate for yourself is highly, highly recommended. And then if you're looking for more ways to like kind of get brands to notice you, um, I recommend just making it a habit of tagging things often, linking things often, tag pro- tag products regularly on Instagram. Um, don't do it in like a way where it's like tagging a brand and being like, sponsor me, haha. Because honestly, that's one of those like little icks that I get when someone posts a story and not in like a funny way because I know people do it sarcastically, but when someone is genuinely posting like, I don't know, it's on screen and they take the skincare and say like, please sponsor me, um, they won't. But if you just post a story with the sunscreen, taking the brand being like my favorite sunscreen, I've used it for years, highly recommend no one else I trust on my skin, like just 
you know, hyping them up like no other to the point where they will be flattered. And like just by tagging products on stuff on Instagram alone, the brand typically will slide into your DMs and say thank you. Um, And then that is the point where you can ask if they have a email that your manager can reach out to or your team or just, you know, saying how much you love the company or products or brand and like would love to uh, um, collaborate in the future if that's something that you're down to for like to do um, goes a lot further than just saying sponsor me. haha. especially the haha at the end. Like, again, back to being business professional here. Um, I'm so curious, too, if there's somebody that does this from the corporate side, what their biggest tips would be to creators, because obviously I'm so one-sided here I only can give tips that like I know from a creator's side but it'd be really cool if there was somebody that worked in marketing or social media from like a brand side to have on an episode that can like help tell creators what they like to see or prefer to work with and all of that I'm also on reddit a ton in terms of like youtube news and drama and I was reading this one page a few nights ago and it kind of came up um about this one so this one youtuber her name came up and someone was like what is somebody like what do you know about them like i don't hear their name that often on this reddit thread and this one person responded saying that she worked for a brand company that worked with this influencer and how like difficult she was to deal with and she was super like i can't remember exactly and it was a pretty long message but it was kind of like detailing the um specific like nitpicky things that she did or didn't want to do with the brand and how it was just a nightmare to like finish this contract with her and that they wouldn't work with her again so it would be cool to have someone and also like when you think about it these people that are running these campaigns are probably for the most part around young millennial late gen z like your age So they are on Reddit. They are on TikTok. And if you're a big enough influencer, they might talk. So Reddit has been pretty helpful with that. But yeah, it would be really interesting, I think, to see from like a brand's side what their biggest tips would be. Because you don't have to have a million followers to get a brand deal. You don't have to have like 50,000. I have friends that you know, wouldn't even consider their following to be the following of an influencer that have had brands wanting to reach out to them because of the type of content they post or because of, like, their, like, Instagram feed almost. If, like, this one friend who posts a lot of rave content, she got, like, a company, I think it was, like, a drink or stickers or something with rave. You can tell I don't rave because I have no idea what it was. But she got to work with something like that. Or um, this one friend I have on Instagram who's a mom and she posts a lot of Instagram reels of like toddler routines or bedtime routines with her kids like she'll start to get brand deals that fit her Instagram appearance so I feel like I always kind of struggled with that of having like imposter syndrome of never feeling big enough or good enough to like reach out to brands or have brand deals but it can be kind of like reassuring when you see people that have similar following counts to you or even smaller or whatever that have brand deals and are validated in that, then you can be like, okay, like I can do this too. And that's why I think it's important to get into the habit of advocating for yourself and being able to just 
you know, rip off the band-aid. And the more that you do it, the less scary that it seems. At least to me, it was kind of intimidating because, you know, that one part of you can feel weird asking someone for money like that, which you're not. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, this feels like I'm just like asking this brand to pay me money. But like, no, you're literally working for them, giving them an like a high quality advertisement. And there's just different lingo to go around and language to use where it's implied, but you're not saying like, hey, pay me to post this, to give me free product and then pay me to mention it. It's like so much more than that. And I feel like I have to talk myself out of those negative thoughts kind of a lot. But um, yeah, you don't have a, like, as long as you have an engaging community and a, like, category that suits the brand well that they think because when it comes down to it brands care more about your engagement rate and percentage than your following if you have a big following but your engagement rate is like three percent they'll probably choose another creator with a smaller following but like an 80 percent engagement rate because their audience seems to listen to them more and that's kind of just how it is my engagement rate could be better could be a lot better is that within my control? Yes and no. Because um, there are ways to get that up, you know, with like, you, I could try different titles or different posts, but like, I feel like within my control is just to be um, consistent and post a lot and advocate for myself and find brands that work well for me, doing what I can, and perhaps the audience will follow. There's a lot that goes into that. I think um, a lot of people on TikTok honestly have better advice than I do about this, specifically the people that are successful on TikTok. I feel pretty secure with YouTube. That's my territory. That's my, I know how to handle that. Um, but uh, yeah, engagement rate is super important. Um, I'm looking over my notes, trying to see if there's anything left that I haven't really mentioned. Um, don't get taken advantage of feel like I talked about that. Don't accept anything you're uncomfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. If you have a, an offer, but you're not comfortable with that low offer, or whatever they want you to do, you don't have to do it. Um, like you're putting in the work too. So make sure that it's worth it to you. And you can, there are ways to politely say that too. There's also a really good tactic where if they offer you and okay, my assumption, and I don't know if this is true, but I've always assumed that the first rate that companies tend to give you is a low one because if you accept it, they're saving money. So sometimes if it feels a little bit too low or you just have a feeling, especially if it's like a really big company that's worked with big influencers like Casetify, for example, you know that they have a budget. So if you're uncomfortable with like the small budget they're giving you, it's totally okay to email them back, you know, saying everything sounds great. Thank you so much for the info. Um, you know, as for the compensation rate, like, I just worked with a brand that offered me, like, whatever for whatever. Um, is there any way that you could meet that? Or I'm trying to think. It's, like, easier to write this out than say it in the moment. Something like that, but not exactly like that. Or even saying, like, you know, like, the lowest rate that I'm comfortable going with is $400 for those deliverables or something. Or if they're saying, like, what's your rate for, like, blah, 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 you can be like, well, I just worked with a brand that offered me, you know, 500 bucks for a story slide and reel. Like, how does that sound to you? Because it, it gives them good comparison value. Um, so, 
I don't know if it's like common knowledge, but you can negotiate to get a deal that you're both happy with. I think that's something brands are used to, influencers are used to. Do not be afraid to try to negotiate. Hell, you can negotiate at like antique stores and like flea markets and crystal stores. I watched Ashton literally walk up to the counter of a rock fossil crystal store, like a business in Minneapolis and say, how does a hundred sound for something that was like a hundred and like 40 bucks or something? And the guy looked at it and looked at him and went, yeah, sounds good to me. And I was so floored because I didn't know you could do that at crystal stores, but you know, on the bigger items, I feel like why not just ask? And even Ashton was like, the worst he could have said is no. So do not be afraid to negotiate if you feel like you're being lowballed the first time or, you know, compare it to another brand. Just again, be kind and polite about it and business professional. Um, and it's okay to say no, especially if the deal and deliveries and or deliverables just don't align with you. I guess deliverables too, I feel like this is common knowledge, but again, if you're not, if you don't hear that a lot, maybe you're like, what? Deliverables are the details as to like what the, the brand wants you to do. So deliverables is usually like one Instagram story or one TikTok, one reel, one in-feed post using whatever it is. It's what you have to do um, to post. Oh, that is all I have left written down for notes on brand deals. So I guess I covered it all. Um, I'm sure I'll think of more after I publish this episode, but um, that's everything that I kind of at least was able to brainstorm in terms of like the secrets to getting brand deals. The big takeaways would definitely be it's okay to advocate for yourself. It's okay to negotiate, know your worth, and you know, just like the different ways of reaching out to brands, asking for emails, reach out to smaller brands too. Like it's great to aim high, but the chances of like L'Oreal, Target, Steve Madden, working with you is it's definitely going to be harder than like a mid-sized smaller brand that would like to get exposure as well you know so i think those are all the tips that i have um moving on now for the my favorite part of these podcast episodes uh tv shows and movies that i have been watching and reading the last um two weeks for this episode um I watched a lot of stuff this week, but the week before I hadn't, so I guess it kind of was a good thing that I took a week off because I remember last week I wasn't even going to have anything to share. Uh, However, out of my list, I watched Shiny Happy People on Amazon Prime with Ashton like right when it came out. I feel like there's been a lot of coverage of it since on TikTok. But if you're unfamiliar, Shiny Happy People is the documentary on the Duggar family, kind of focusing around Jill Duggar and her husband. Um, I think they are the ones that like agreed to do this documentary, pretty much just exposing um, the cult that her family was in and her childhood. And it is super, super sad. It's a four episode docu-series, but we were able to watch it in one night. I knew it was going to be dark, but I had no idea how dark it got in terms of what normal people would consider child abuse and, um, you know, other forms of abuse that is like the type of child content that Josh had on his computer. Yeah, they mention it. It's specific. It's sad. 
it's disturbing. The fact that everybody knew that Josh did things as a teenager and they just shoved it under the rug, sent him away to like a camp, probably that didn't even address the issue. And Jim Bob just kept referring to it as, we took care of it, we took care of it, without ever protecting their daughters, without protecting, you know, his wife or as in Josh, Anna, who was so brainwashed. And, you know, there are certain friends of the family and people that say, oh, we knew. Like, the people that knew and the fact that, like, when the daughters in the 2015 interview, I think it was 2015, when, you know, she was asking, like, what did you guys do to resolve this? And I think it was, I mean, oh, God, I should have recorded this a week ago, though, because now it's getting hazy. But the way that they said they fixed it was like, oh, just making sure he was never like alone with one of his sisters or locking the doors or like boys sleep in one room, girls sleep in the other. I'm like, okay, that's really not doing anything though. Like, sure. And um, God, there were so many other details that now I'm like forgetting, but I got my hair done like the day after I watched it. And so I was telling my um, hairstylist all about it and there's there's a lot I guess I don't want to spoil anything but um it's really sad yeah I'm thinking of more details now but I don't want to say it because I don't want to give it away I want you to have the same shock factor that I had when I heard it in the episodes jaw on the floor it's just so devastating and um I like immediately followed Jill Duggar on Instagram afterwards now I know that I guess there's still some problematic stuff. TikTok, you know, as TikTok does, will deep dive and find other things that I guess are still pretty problematic. But for what it was and for where she came from, I think she's made it pretty far. And it's great that she's made it out. And I think as more of the Duggar kids age out and hopefully start to like investigate their beliefs for themselves and kind of question where they came from or now that they have these older siblings that have paved the way I feel like we're going to get a lot more um exposed stories once these more like exploited children from television become adults and I'm really excited for that especially with YouTubers oh my god like I'm waiting for the day I know it's gonna happen all these family channels their kids are getting closer to being preteens and teens. And I mean, Eight Passengers, their daughter is 18 now, right? I know that I hear a lot about Ruby from Eight Passengers and her kids through different YouTube news drama channels that share what's going on. But I think her case is very similar to the Duggar case in terms of like child abuse and control and just ways of parenting that a lot of us would never do to our own kids and it seems very aggressive but it's very I mean shiny happy people and family vloggers go hand in hand with the exploitation of children and all of that and I feel like we're starting to wake up a little bit to this on social media but there's still people that will defend family vlog channels or enjoy watching them and I mean, regardless whether you hide your children's faces from social media or show them, like, I feel like we're entering an era now where people, especially bigger influencers, are starting to hide their children's faces. And that's that's so great because of how disturbing and effed up the internet can be. And, like, 
it's one thing for you to be okay with your face or your pictures or your name being Googleable and like having a lot of results show up, but that kid like is way too little. I think I would be so uncomfortable if I Googled my name and could see my baby photos or screenshots of me in like a diaper. Yeah, that's so disturbing. So family vloggers is like a whole other conversation we could have, especially like, well, okay, let's Let's side note for a second because the Colleen Ballinger stuff really ex- it like exploded the last week or so and um, I'm glad everyone is starting to wake up. She is someone that I have not liked for a while for all of these reasons and more. I've talked about it a little bit but I was so afraid of like not kind of explaining it right and sounding like I just was a hater so I didn't say a lot but it was on one of my podcast episodes about like YouTubers that I don't like or something like that. I can't remember. Um, but I will admit I've gone to her Miranda Sings before. I went in like 2017 with a friend. Um, and it was funny. A lot of like adult jokes over kid jokes that kids wouldn't understand. Um, and I wish I remembered more details of the show now because I'm sure there were a lot of questionable things said that I just don't remember. But in, what, 2019, was that when Adam first made the video about Colleen and the lingerie? That was when my perspective of Colleen and Miranda Sings shifted. It also shifted when um, people like Shane Dawson were being canceled for the racist and inappropriate, like, things that they have said and done to minors. Um, Like, remember when... That video came out of Shane Dawson asking Tana Mojo to pee on him and she was underage and she did. That was pretty disturbing. Um, and Shane even said in an interview how Colleen is the biggest gossiper in the community and like she'll come over whenever they hang out. And he was saying it jokingly, but the interview did not age well. Um, where when they'd hang out, she'd be like, okay, who do you have? Who do you got? Like, what do you have on like so-and-so what do you have this is what I have and they would just talk shit about everyone in the industry Jesse Smiles mentions how Colleen is just known as being a really big shit talker in the community industry not community um and when you think about who she like surrounds herself with it's a lot of creators that have done very disturbing things in the past um so I don't know you kind of like flock with similar I can't think of the metaphor right now basically back to what is going on right now if you're unsure as to why Colleen Ballinger is under so much heat right now there is a lot of new evidence coming out in terms of um her grooming underage children through her character Miranda Miranda Sings through her own like main Twitter accounts group chats with minors I think sending Adam the lingerie as a teenager back a few years ago was like the iceberg, like the tip of the iceberg cherry on top of like a really big disturbing situation. I saw this thing on Reddit that was like a couple of screenshots of a super old video that she did with her sister, Rachel, where they ate candy necklaces off of each other, except it was like the candy necklace underwear, candy necklace bra, and they put it on and like there's literally a screenshot where it looks like she is 69ing her sister and the text, like the cap, the, um, what's the word? Captions, like when someone's talking and they have the talk captions over it, 
It says, this is kind of disturbing. And I'll, I'll pop, I don't know. She's She says, I don't think I'm going to reach your puss. Wait, I don't think I'm going to reach your puss if you're nibbling on my nip. And that is her sister. And like, she would post so many disturbing videos like that of like jokes about incest or like sexual jokes, including her underage nieces and nephews that oftentimes, or niece and nephews, that oftentimes were like toddlers in these videos or sexualizing them in thumbnails, like girl on girl action or stripper or stuff like that. Um, that is, I lost my sentence again. I'm so sorry. But um, yeah, really gross things like that are just starting to come out. And there's been a lot of screenshots of different group chats that she's been in with minors and things that she would ask them. Um, have you seen the screenshots of when she would have kids at her Miranda shows putting their hands down her pants? It's like things that when she was in, in character, I think we all brushed off at the time. But now that it's coming to light, people are starting to understand, you know, how uncomfortable a lot of these children were on stage or how disturbing this is out of character. Or, you know, if she were a man saying the same things, acting the same way, he would like be in jail right now. Um, And that's only like in terms of like the grooming allegations. Now, her brother Trent also was grooming young girls on Twitter. And that's a whole other thing you can go down on the internet. I think there's a tweet that has every single conversation posted. Very disturbing. Um, I don't even know if I want to get into that conversation, but it's there. It's on Twitter. It's on Reddit. You can find it. And um, I don't know. This is like a whole big conversation that I could talk about for days, especially like the Ballinger family side. And I know they get a somehow they always kind of get a pass where people will be like, yeah, family channels are exploiting their kids, but not the Ballingers. They're great. No, they're not. Like they're just as guilty. They keep their kids sheltered. They make their kids film like dozens of TikToks in one day because they're all in the same outfits. And usually it's like very sexualized TikToks that the parents know will do well of them like rolling on the ground on their stomachs, not using their arms, blowing as hard as they can against a wall to keep an, a card up, um, having things fall into their mouths, holding things with their elbows, but not their hands. Um, And, you know, the kids see these as, like, funny challenges and games, but on the internet, there's a very disturbing type of person that is saving these videos because it's children doing these things. Or even their son, Parker, they still use his, like, pictures or um, screenshots of him doing full splits and thumbnails or in TikToks. And it's it's cute and it's a cool skill, but like that's not why they're using it. They're using it in thumbnails because it does well, but it only does well because certain people that want to see that that are very disturbing are clicking on it. And um, the the fact that I think they they remind me of the Duggars a lot, and I don't really want to get into all of that too. But like pulling Bailey out of public school, I know they made a video about it, but like remember in the video when Jessica was so upset that um one of the books they were reading in English class she thought was inappropriate. And I'm so curious what book it was because I guarantee you it probably was not that inappropriate. Um, And it probably wouldn't be like an inappropriate reason like 
um, To Kill a Mockingbird because they used the N-word or Huckleberry Finn because it's racist. No, I don't think that's her reasoning. I think it was more so like something too liberal or something that she thought was so exposed, exposed, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. Um, And I remember in the video, they talked about how Bailey like tried to skip a grade because she felt like it was too easy, but they said no because socially like she's probably not that advanced if anything it seems like she like should uh, it's hard because she's a kid and I do think she's innocent in this situation but like these kids were so sheltered from other children from social interactions and like sure she does musical theater and like all this stuff but how often is she allowed to not be like by her family or her siblings and that's like at that age when you're 16 I feel like she's not even allowed to like watch certain shows that would open her eyes or I don't know I just feel like those types of parents are super controlling because they're trying to keep their kids not acting the age that they are for far too long and I'm really excited for the Ballinger kids to be over 18 because I do feel like we'll get some well if they break out of that world and open their eyes we're gonna get some really good like exposed books and videos soon of these children that were just born on camera and were forced to like show what their rooms looked like their whole childhood even being like potty trained or all this stuff like I don't know it's just like if you have a weird feeling about it it's probably off for a reason um I don't even know if I covered every single part about Colleen because like the grooming parts part of it oh I was that's what I was going to bring up I think Colleen exploits her kids every single day on camera. She vlogs every single day. It's always the babies. And at first, it's cute, right? We love to watch, like, twins growing up or little babies and whatnot. But uh, I don't know. When I watch her vlogs or when I have in the past, you just get an icky feeling about it. And that's all I'll really say here. But there is a Reddit community all about Colleen. So if you want to deep dive under like the most popular Reddit posts, there's a lot there, especially about her exploiting her kids or, you know, people think that she like has a favorite kid or she spoils one versus the other. Um, Even like, you know, how often does she like watch her kids or do this or that or she's got a nanny, but the nanny's never even like Nanny's more like a mommy's helper because she's there with like Corey or Eric or she'll have like both her parents over and it's like there'll be six adults to take care of two kids, which is something to be grateful for. But I don't know. I'll just leave it. I mean, Reddit has changed my opinion a lot about Colleen, but it shed light too on like a lot of stuff. But sorry for that small tangent. I just feel like a lot of people defend Colleen still without understanding like the whole story of like no like she's she's said really disturbing things in both shows publicly to kids or like privately she's been in group chats with only minors asking questions like what's your favorite position send butt pics what was your first period like be explicit like I thought I shit my pants and stuff like that and there are people on TikTok making story times of when they felt uncomfortable on stage at a Miranda show because she, like, spread her legs on stage or called her, like, fertile or whatever. Like, 
it's funny jokes if she's in character, right? No, like, it's weird to say, and it can't be dismissed because she's Miranda Sings. And a lot of people even are starting to speculate, like, you know, what if Miranda isn't this much of a character, and what if it's more of, like, a way to, um, I don't know if it's healing from trauma, but people are making some big speculations on Reddit about stuff that she went through because, I guess, Miranda's character's Uncle Jim, right? Is that it? Sounds really similar to her dad. And if you are really deep into this lore, her dad has some very disturbing stuff saved on YouTube too. And when you're even deeper into that, it's very similar to the type of videos, thumbnails, and pictures that both Colleen and Jessica have done. So yeah, the whole family really grosses me out, gives me a big ick, and scares me. And I hope the kids turn out okay, and back to exploiting children online. The next 10 years, I think, are going to be super telling as these kids start to grow up and be able to advocate for themselves more and have their own voices. Everyone's waiting for Everly LeBron to, like, speak out. Me too. I cannot wait. The LeBron family, oh my god, I'm not even going to get there, and I don't want to, like, yeah. All right, back to other things that I watched <laughs> this week. Oh, this is so on topic. The next thing I have written down is Age of Influence. The Age of Influence. Um, so Cameron Turner, who used to be Cameron Clifford, who used to have a channel called Cam Fam or Cam and Fam. Um, she was a teen mom from that era. Um, her husband Landon passed away like two years ago. Just trying to see if any of that rings a bell. Um, she was featured on this one Hulu episode of Age of Influencers, like the mom vlogger episode. And I watched it because I saw the preview on her TikTok or something. So I wanted to check in to see how, you know, what it was about. And um, it, the whole episode itself, I had no idea um, that there was even... Let me look it up so that I remember the name correctly, but the family vlog, the family channel. Hmm. It's like something adventures, right? The. Wow, I really have to film this, like, or record this right after I watch something, because apparently I just forget names and everything. Okay, The Age of Influence. What was this channel called? It's the family channel where the mom was, like, super abusive. Um, I'm like, I even looked it up, like, on YouTube and watched some of their videos. Fantastic Adventures. That was the YouTube channel's name. I had no idea about this whole case. Um, and it's super sad. So the, the episode focuses on the family channel, or not family channel, the kid channel, really. Fantastic Adventures, where these kids are, you know, going on all of these adventures. And it seems really cool and fun. But off camera, they were being horribly abused. And 
the mastermind, the the mom kind of behind all of that. But Cameron is featured in this episode, and um, it's really interesting to like hear because she talks about how um, kids are like being exploited, and she doesn't want kids like on the internet like that, or how bad it is. And she talks about this a lot online about how other people exploit their kids, but then she still continues to show her kids on social media, or she still continues to have these videos up on her YouTube channel. Um, The edit that they gave her was kind of interesting because, well, I don't know. Here's the thing. I'm not like completely against Cameron. I think she went through a horrible type of trauma that I hope I wouldn't hope any or like wish upon anybody um but you know watching her evolve on social media since that event has been really interesting because she's trying to find herself as like an in like an independent single mom now so I feel like she's gone through so many different social media eras or stages or things that she's trying out or dating and just you know entering her 20s versus her teen years too I and like shifting her identity from a family vlogging YouTube channel to whatever it is now. So I do give her a lot of slack for that and understanding all of that. But um, I, sorry, I just got a text and I thought I was on do not disturb, but I accidentally read it and my mind got disturbed or not disturbed. My mind got distracted. Oh my God. Um, But yeah, so I give her a lot of slack. I'm not like a big Cameron hater. There are a few things that I've seen or watched where you know, I just think are a little hypocritical or, you know, dragging up old drama from old friends. She's, you know, done that a few times in TikToks where I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is like worth it, girl. But um, I don't think they gave her the best edit is what I'm saying, because the whole episode was about like how bad family vlogging is and, you know, these kids are being exploited. And then, of course, they have a family vlogger who exploited her kids. And there's this part where she talks about how much work it is to be, like, a family vlogger because you are your own filmer and editor and you're doing all, like, graphic designer and producer and she's saying all those types of, like, terms and how it can be a lot because you're doing it all on your your own. And when she says she's, like, her own filmer and film, filmer and, filmer does not sound like a word anymore, filmer and editor, they, like, cut to one of her vlogs that was filmed on her phone and her like dropping the phone and it's really shaky and just like knowing that they put that clip over her saying how much hard work it is because you're producing and editing and directing your own stuff I don't know I felt like they did that on purpose um I definitely chuckled a little bit at that but then when she was saying you know stuff about how it's not right to put kids on the internet but then she does makes you like tilt your head a little bit and question it um the episode itself though was very like, sad and disturbing, but good, I guess. I wouldn't, like, watch the series itself, but I'm glad I tuned in because being on YouTube, I had no idea about Fantastic Adventures and how sad that was and how, you know, these cops had to come in and, like, it. it's just, it's, like, kind of a smaller scale case of, like, the Turpin case, you know, which was that family with, like, a over a dozen kids that were all chained up and then um Jordan Turpin escaped one night and that's how she saved her siblings if you're familiar with that case it reminded me of that um where 
basically the way that these kids were able to get out of this situation is I think their aunt or the mom's sister, somebody had to take someone to the dentist and she started saying stuff in the car about what mom does. And the aunt, I believe it was the aunt, she started recording it on her phone, this conversation, so that she had evidence, went to the police, they did a welfare check and quickly realized that something was off. But it's just so bizarre because you see the footage and the the videos that are on YouTube and just how parallel or not parallel opposite it is to reality um and it's just so sad because those kids were mules they were used just for content and then treated like crap when it wasn't a filming day and that is like the scariest form of reality in terms of exploiting your children and using them for content and money and working them when there are no child labor laws for social media, the way that there are some set up to protect kids in Hollywood, which honestly, they're not that protected. And we are seeing that now with like a lot of stuff coming out about childhood stars or stars that gave up their childhoods. But at least there's something in place about the amount of hours that they're al- they're allowed to work and stuff like that. Because with YouTube and social media, there's no laws. You're under the protection and guidance of your parents and what your parents say goes. And unfortunately, that's just abused more times than not um, in the family vlogging world and all of that. Um, but enough talk about that. <laughs> the other things that I watched this week... Um, I don't know why, but Ashton and I were on kind of like a horror film kick this week in mid-June. We watched Smile for the first time. Um, I had no desire to see this in theaters when it came out. I had no desire to see it until that night when it just like sounded fine. And it was, it was fine. It was honestly like the type of horror movie that I can handle because I don't like gruesome um, horror films. I don't like slashers. I like thrillers. I just don't like blood and unnecessary violent killing. Um, But Smile, I mean, they're just smiling at you. So on some level, it wasn't that hard to watch. I, that does not go, that does not mean that I didn't also close my eyes at times. It was dumb, but like it was a pretty fine like horror film. I don't know. I guess it wasn't my favorite, but we did watch that. And then we watched Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf. It's like an early 2000s thriller. Um, it's come up a few times like when we're scrolling trying to find something to watch and I never really wanted to watch it. But then Carly and Aaron were talking about it on their podcast only friends and said it was like a classic and how good it was like when they were teens so then I thought okay I have to I have to check it out and it was it was pretty good it was a really good honestly like slow burn thriller did I call it immediately absolutely but was it still really that's like the fun part about being right when you call a plot though is it's so satisfying to see it play out there were a few like gross cuts to look at in terms of like bodies, but nothing too jump scary with that. Like you saw it coming or like, I don't know. I looked away at one point and was, you know, telling Ashton like there's going to be a body in there, isn't it? And he was like, yep. And I just knew not to look because that stuff grosses me out. But um, basically Shia LaBeouf's character is on house arrest so he can't leave his home, his yard, and he spends a lot more time looking 
out the window watching his neighbors than he did before. And of course, there is a serial killer or like a lot of girls are going missing and wouldn't you know, it's one of his neighbors. So it becomes one of those like teen detective stakeout type of films where him and his friends have video cameras and they're watching and it's satisfying and good like it reminds me of the detectives club this like old 90s movie which on like a kid scale is exactly what this movie is um and it gets pretty like intense toward the end but it was really satisfying like it was pretty good i liked it a lot um it was a good movie and then that's it that's that's all the movies I watched, really, because I only really watch TV and movies when I'm with Ashton, and those are just what we watch together, and I wanted to make sure I watched the episode of the mommy vlogging stuff um, just because it came out and I was curious, but in terms of TV shows, I like having something just on in the background if I'm, like, doing busy type of work where I'm able to listen, so... I am trying to watch Manifest because I gave the pilot a try a few months ago. And the pilot was good, but I definitely wasn't, like, in the show. But I started seeing more clips of it on TikTok throughout the series, and it's decent. It's really good. So I did start watching that. I'm only on, like, episode four, but it's nice to have when I'm, like, doing dishes or cooking and responding to emails or working on some stuff for my phone. And... We'll see. We'll see if I make it all the way through. <laughs> I'm a little cheater, though, because I saw the finale on TikTok, and that's what made me want to watch it. So I do know how it ends, but I still appreciate the journey. And it is really cool. One of those, like, kind of, like, mind-bending shows about... I guess if you're unfamiliar, Manifest is about um this plane that basically was missing for five years but it wasn't five years for the passengers so like the people on the plane it was just a plane ride you know like they took off and then they land and they don't have service and they get off and you know cops are there and everyone's really confused as to like what's going on and when they land they find out that it's five years later you know you guys took off in i can't remember the years i probably should you can tell i'm watching it in the background but they took off in like a certain year, like 2010 or whatever, and they land and it's now 2015. And they're trying to figure out why or how or what happened and it gets good. So that, it, it, it reminds me of the, the missing um, 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 Malaysia plane documentary and that's what made me want to watch Manifest because so many people said that that case reminds them of the show Manifest. So it's good. And of course, everyone that was on the plane, um, something happens to them since landing. They, you know, are like a little bit telepathic or just know things or I don't know. I'm only four episodes deep, so I'm not quite sure yet, but it looks really good. Um, and then in for reading, I started Firefly Lane and oh my gosh, I'm trying to really, really take my time with it. It's so good, and I think because I'm freshly off of watching the series, like, it feels so ripe and real and, like, recent. I don't want to get through the book too fast because I want to really enjoy Tully and Kate and their journey, and I'm close to tears every time I read it just because I remember how the show ended, and I know something similar is probably coming in the book, 
So I just want to remember it like before that happens. Um, but I'm currently reading that. And then I recently purchased The House on the Lake to read. It was 20% off at Target, so I couldn't resist. And I know that it was pretty popular when it came out. So I'm curious if I'll like that. And I also got The People We Meet on Vacation for like a really light pool book type of read. Now, I've read Emily Henry before. I read Book Lovers, and I honestly didn't like it that much. It was fine for what it was. It was pretty hallmarky, which I get as part of the plot. It was like Colleen Hoover without the main reason why everybody reads Colleen Hoover, if you know what I mean. So it just was fine. It was kind of boring. But people say that the people we meet on vacation is better. So I'm going to give it a try. And regardless, Book Lovers was a really good book to read at the pool outside on my patio. Just a light palette cleanser. Um, I also got Carrie Soto's back to read. And um, okay, speaking of Colleen Hoover, I did get Heartbones. Um, so we'll see how that one is. I do like her books for a palette cleanse. Like when I need to read nonsense. Something where I don't even have to think. I like to read Colleen Hoover because, and that's what makes it such a great pool read for me or beach read or like balcony reading because I, it's like a way to relax where I don't have to use my brain. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that book is. Those are kind of the books on my list right now. I am actually about to start a book club as well with some friends that I'm really excited for and that's always kind of been like a dream of mine to have a book club so I'm pumped I have really like I'm high hopes for this and I'll start to have probably like more to say in terms of books that I'm reading once the book club starts um, on my podcast episodes as well but oh my gosh we're almost two hours in this was a hearty episode thank you so much for listening I hope you're having a wonderful week And I can't wait to talk to you next, whether that's next week, regardless, or the week after. Big updates, big fun things coming. I'm so excited for what what I'm planning to do for my birthday and that whole weekend. My birthday lands on Saturday this year, which is so nice. Um, It reminds me how 10 years ago when I turned 20 or 18 instead of 28, it was also on a weekend and how fun that was. I think it was like a Friday night too. I think I turned 21 on a Saturday night too, which was amazing. Either way, I feel like I always get lucky with um, my birthdays and how it lands. So Saturday night, turning 28, can't wait. Um, and I'll talk more about that next week. And hopefully we chat before the Taylor Swift concert. Otherwise, big T Swift up- update coming soon. And yeah, follow the podcast Instagram. I've been more active on it, especially since I didn't post an episode last week. I was posting on the Instagram, breaking up underscore podcast. Follow my main Instagram in case, you know, I don't post an episode. I'll tell you there. Anything else, you can see my birthday and Taylor Swift updates on my stories, I'm sure. Um, But with all that being said, thank you so much for listening and I'll chat with you guys soon. Bye.